You want me to welcome again? Or what? Okay, I'm happy to do it. It's all loaded in the system and everything. Okay. I like the sound effects too. Kind of cool. So at what point uh, do I say, oh, no. So welcome to the To Our Gathered Catholic Podcast with Mr. Jim Fellows and myself, Father Rob Kroll. So Jim, good morning to you and how are you doing? Good morning, Father. I'm uh, tired and I'm crabby and I got allergies <laughs> oh, and no. it's hot out. Ah, so, so you're doing great. That's great awesome. today. Thank you. Just Thank you for in- asking. <laughs> and you, how is your retreat going? You know, it's going well. I have um, four people that I'm leading this month through the full 30-day spiritual exercises retreat of St. Ignatius of Loyola. And uh, the retreat ends on July 31st. So they're getting into the home stretch now, and it's going well. And, and as a director of the retreat, I get to meet every day with these four individuals who tell me how they're encountering the Lord in their prayer, and it's, it's awesome to see what God's doing in their lives, but also I, I receive a lot uh, just in listening to their experience. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's a two-way street. We, we benefit each other. Well, all right. Yeah. And so today's kind of a day off for them. Yeah, yeah. Great. Well, it's an intense month, as you can imagine. I mean, it's a silent retreat. They're praying four to five hours a day. So two days during the month, roughly after 10 days and now after 20 days, they get to come up for air a little bit. So it's not really a break, entire break from the retreat, but they are allowed to... Um, uh, go out and like go to a botanical garden or to a museum, something that would be kind of reflective and relaxing, but not, not so distracting that it's going to uh, disturb, you know, kind of the atmosphere of the retreat. And they can also go out like to lunch or dinner with, um, uh, with fellow retreatants as long as they don't talk about the retreat itself. So anyway, it is a little bit of a break for them. And uh, then this evening they'll be going back into the silence until the end of the retreat, which ends uh, with dinner on July 31st. So I appreciate uh, any prayers that can be launched by our listeners. What's uh, what's for dinner? I remember the dinner at the silent retreat that uh, you and I were on, and that was that was a pretty good last meal. Yeah, I'm not meal. sure what they're... We don't call it a last meal, but it was a, it was a, <laughs> right. it was a good celebration. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, no, the retreat house, you know, now that we've been there basically three weeks, you know, they I, you start seeing... a a repeat of their uh, meals. So they've got a certain set meals that they kind of start serving again. I'm not, I don't remember what, what they're going to serve tonight, but uh, yeah, it's decent. It's decent food. And, and, um, and the weather has been quite nice. So people can also, there's a patio area where people can sit outside. Uh, so it's, it's nice. We're well taken care of. All right. Yeah. Well, before we get into uh, the topic of the day, which mm-hmm. is, going to be uh, a hoot and a holler so um good news we got a uh, comment on our post in facebook if okay. you want to come and visit us at number two letter r gathered and on facebook then see our facebook page um deborah posted on our uh deeper dive on medjugorje mm-hmm and she says, uh, Medjugorje changed my life. I will be forever grateful to the Blessed Mother for getting me there so I could meet her son. Oh. Which is exactly what the Blessed Mother wants to do. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Right? Yes, indeed. That's so, awesome. So, um, yeah. So, thank you, Deborah, for commenting. And if other people want to comment on our Facebook page, we're there if you're on Facebook. If you want to send us an email yep. at uh, mail. M-A-I-L, at number two, the letter R, gathered.com. We'd love that. We would indeed. And maybe, just maybe, our podcast will uh, change someone's life as well as Medjugorje itself. Who knows? But even if that doesn't happen, we're happy to hear from people. Absolutely. And if you have criticisms, you can share those too, and we'll cry Mm -hmm. a little bit, but we'll... uh, Yeah, we can handle it. We've got pretty strong egos. You, you oh. oh, no, you can't, too. You can, you can take all the criticism. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So what are we talking about today, Father? Well, we thought, Jim, that we would address a kind of a bombshell, actually, even though our listeners, most of them probably haven't even heard about this bombshell. But uh, we're recording on Tuesday and just last Friday on the feast of uh, Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Our Holy Father, Pope Francis, issued an apostolic letter. Uh, It's issued motu proprio, which is a Latin phrase uh, that has to do with canon law. And basically, it means that it's an edict issued by the Pope on his own initiative or by his own accord. So it's something that he puts forward for the church and uh, expects us to welcome. Uh, And the title of it is Tradiciones Custodes, uh, which translated means guardians of the tradition. And this is totally a parenthesis here, but uh, church documents tend to be named in Latin, and the uh, Latin would reflect the first like words of the document. So the, the document that the Pope issued begins, uh, guardians of the tradition. I can't help but think about think about Guardians of the Galaxy, but I never actually saw the movie. But anyway, um, I haven't. No, no, I, I think there's been a sequel too, but I haven't. I haven't seen either one. But <laughs> I heard they were really good. So they were really good. Okay, all right. I'll I'll have to watch them this summer or something. But um, but basically, this document of the Pope, which isn't very long. Uh, it was accompanied also by um, a letter that was written to bishops around the world, and he made that public as well, in which he kind of explains his reasoning for this letter. But in a nutshell, what the Pope is seeking to do is to regulate uh, the celebration of what we Catholics call by various names, the traditional Latin mass or the extraordinary form of the liturgy. Tridentine um, mass. Tridentine Mass would be another name that people might be familiar with, right. And all of those refer to the fact that for centuries, you know, the the liturgy, the Mass, um, well, liturgy is more broad than Mass. So the, the Eucharistic liturgy of the Church was celebrated in Latin, and it was celebrated according really to the same form for, for centuries. And then... Um, Vatican II decided to um, revise uh, the liturgy. And so the liturgy, the mass that most Catholics are familiar with on Sunday when they go to their local parish, that is a revision that comes out of Vatican II. And uh, now St. Paul, uh, St. Pope Paul VI, uh, is the one responsible for promulgating this revised Roman Missal or You know, so anyway, so that came about in 1970. So people that are older will remember the mass before Vatican II. Um, myself, having been born in 1965, uh, I don't really have any memory of that because I was too young. And well, we um, converted in the 70s, so we were just inundated with uh, guitar and clown masses. (laughs) Right, right. So there was a lot of experimentation after the council, which was not always according to the mind of the church. And and actually, that's one of the reasons why today uh, there are Catholics who uh, continue to celebrate and to worship at this traditional Latin mass, because they believe that it um, it's more reverent, it's more beautiful, uh, it reflects better kind of the the longstanding tradition of the church. And so Pope Francis, though, the reason why he feels the need to intervene is because he believes that within the Catholic community, some of these um, individuals and some of these communities that have been um, very uh, rooted in and, and adhering to the traditional Latin mass that, that in some cases it's been very divisive for the church because along with this celebration of the mass comes kind of a rejection in his mind of either the newer form of the mass or uh, maybe Vatican II, you know, hook, line, and sinker. And so he felt that it was important to regulate the Latin Mass just for the sake of unity within the church. So anyway, that's the overall purpose of this document. It it follows upon 
a worldwide consultation of bishops uh, in the year 2020. So apparently all the bishops of the world were given a questionnaire. I think there were like nine questions. And then the, the uh, Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, uh, part of the Vatican, kind of collated all of these answers, all of these responses. And out of that, uh, Pope Francis believes that it's important now not to completely suppress the Latin Mass, but, but to regulate it and... Um, yeah, to kind of lay down certain stipulations. And he's entrusting a lot of this to the local bishops. So he's kind of asking them to take responsibility within their own diocese of, of kind of regulating this. And we will have a chance in the podcast to go into some of the particulars, but that that's kind of the overall goal. And it, it has created, uh, if you look at the Catholic blogosphere in the last few days, it's created kind of a whirlwind, a kind of a storm of response. I mean, some of it positive, um, some of it very critical. Um, so we just thought it'd be good to, to highlight, you know, just let people know that this happened, first of all, and then kind of, yeah, talk about the effects of it. Well, and we should mention, um, I will mention that uh, a little caveat to this conversation when uh, you and I decided before we even started this podcast that we were not going to be um, publicly critical of um, uh, any priest or bishop or cardinal or pope um, on the podcast. We, we weren't going to, that, that wasn't what the podcast was about. We were going to, you know, so we avoid, we've avoided topics where we've seen things that were being done by, uh, you know, priests or bishops. Yeah, church officials or whatever. Antithetical to the Catholic faith and, and we're just, let other people cover that and we just want to focus on we don't want to get negative on this thing and we're going to try real hard to do that on this one it's, right right this it's, this one we gotta put the caveat out because yeah people are gonna be wondering why aren't they uh getting a little bit more personal on this whole thing right right <laughs> no and, and, and that's not to say we can't raise you know our own questions or concerns but yeah we're right. trying to speak the truth in love as uh saint paul writes to the ephesians and so we want to be charitable but, but the reality is this has i mean it's kind of a paradox in my mind because on the one hand 98 percent probably or 99 percent of the catholic world won't even know about this and won't really right. care because most catholics just go to mass at their local parish which is right. you know celebrated according to the revised rite but it does affect um, a small to as the novus ordo. The no novus ordo, right, or the ordinary form as opposed to right. the extraordinary form. So there's various ways of talking about it. But, but I think you know. But it, but it has. So the paradox is most people don't really. This isn't on the radar screen, and yet it is a pretty big deal because uh, many people will be affected by it. I mean, um, there are in the United States, uh, there are pretty much in most dioceses. Uh, Catholics that do uh, celebrate according to the Latin rite. And, and uh, you know, one of the major changes, for example, is that until now, basically any priest, any Catholic priest that wanted to celebrate this form of the liturgy, the extraordinary form, um, could do so. He didn't really have to ask the bishop's permission, and he could just basically go forward. Um, whereas now, um, uh, a any priest currently celebrating this mass has to get permission, authorization from his local bishop. And even more importantly, any seminarian who isn't ordained yet, when he is ordained now, so from now on, any ordained priest has to go to his local bishop, but then the bishop has to actually go and ask authorization from the Vatican. So right. um, there's so a two-step process. A two-pronged a two -prong process. The, the right. letter doesn't really talk about that much, but there's definitely a two-step process. Oh, yeah. No, no. It's very clear. It's very clearly stated that this has to happen. And so, you know, again, I think from Pope Francis's perspective, uh, he feels like there's been too much division uh, within the Catholic community, and he wants to try to bring us more into unity um, my own personal belief is, at least in the short term, this is going to create more division because I think, you know, I, I've talked with people. Um, there are a number of seminarians, for example, in the seminary where I work who uh, attended the Latin Mass with, um, with their families. And those families are very strong in their love for the traditional liturgy. Um, and, and there are actually some 
within the church, there are some institutes, like I'm thinking of uh, the Institute of Christ the King, for example, um, that are actually, their whole purpose for coming into existence was to um, kind of promote the Latin mass. And uh, now the Pope isn't suppressing those groups, but but it's going to be interesting to see going forward how they survive and how they right. deal with this. Um, you know, after after the Vatican Council II and after Pope uh, Paul VI, St. Pope Paul VI revised the liturgy, um, in, his, in his wake, uh, uh, St. Uh, John Paul II in the 1980s and then uh, Pope Benedict XVI in 2007, they issued documents in which they kind of permitted a, this celebration of the Latin Mass, and they they recognized that some people were very um, kind of wedded to it or rooted in it, and so they they opened up, they gave more permissions to celebrate this uh, form of the liturgy. So basically, Saint uh, Pope Francis is saying now he's abrogating those pre those prior documents and permissions. So, um, and what's interesting is he actually said this all begins like today. He issued this document on Friday. Like it goes into effect immediately. Right. He's, not, he's not even permitting um, a lag time of like maybe several months to implement this. So um, anyway, that's one of the reasons why it's really caused kind of a firestorm is, is some people are very uh, disappointed and angry about this and they see it as maybe just part of a larger pontificate that isn't uh, being sensitive to more traditional Catholics or something. So, so anyway, uh, it's important just to recognize what's happening. Um, and, uh, we'll see, I don't know, you know, in the long term how this is going to affect the life of the church. Um, maybe so be, let's, yeah, uh, go let's, let's go back a little bit. Let, yeah, yeah. We need to touch base on, um, Vatican too. And again, I just, I get the overwhelming sense from the large, portion of our listeners are probably more familiar with Vatican II than I am. Sure. But uh, in case there's a couple out there that uh, just have heard the term but haven't looked into it, maybe we should talk about that a little bit. Okay, yeah. I would think uh, just specifically Sacrosanctum Concilium. Concilium, yeah. Yeah, so do you want to what, what do you, do you say something about it? Well, I've been in debates with people online about um, people who are like, there's some people that are like, good, it's about time this happened and let's, let's shut this Latin mass down. And I'm just like, well, mm -hmm. I am of the mindset that this is going to cause more division than it is um, mm -hmm. healing. I don't, yeah. I don't know how this is going to, you know, but that's me. And then they would say, well, Sacrosanctum Concilium talks about uh, reforming the liturgy. And it's like, well, okay. That's, I mean, the word reform appears in the document a couple of times. You're not mm -hmm. wrong about that. But I don't think that um, that His Holiness was using it the same way that you were trying to use it right now. I, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Father, that the purpose of Sac Sacrosanctum Concilium was to address the, the needs of Mass and the lack of participation of the laity within the mass. Yeah. They were just observers. And it right. wasn't just we need to create a new mass. It was like when when the Latin mass, the, the low mass that they, were, they called it, um, that would happen, and not the high mass on the weekend, but the low mass, it would just be um, the priest facing away from them, saying the prayers in Latin. Nobody would respond. People would receive communion, and then you were out the door. And um, he, he was finding fault with that um, because it's, it didn't encourage participation. It didn't encourage people to get involved with the mass and be a part of the whole process. Yeah, so, in fact, you hear stories about people even praying, just praying their rosary during mass because they were uh, exactly. unable to really understand what was happening. A lot of people didn't know Latin anymore. And it's interesting that in this document that Pope Francis issued last week, he he talks about um, the fact that, you know, he, he, the church doesn't want people to be strangers and silent spectators uh, at, at the liturgy and, and Vatican II in this document that you're talking about, Sancro Sanctum Concilium talks about um, 
you know, full active, full conscious and active participation. Um, so I think that's, you know, that's the intention of the council fathers because uh, they want people to really understand and participate in what, in what this sacred mystery is. Um, now, in, in, you know, I think where a lot of the Latin mass people would come down, they would say that, and you and I know this because we were born, you know, right after the council. And so we grew up at a time like in the 70s and 80s when there was all kinds of kind of silly uh, experimentation with the liturgy in such a way that it, it was no longer really a, a reverent mystery, but it was kind of banal and, and silly. And so, you know, I think some people who currently uh, support the Latin Mass, they kind of react um, against some of those abuses. And, and, and Pope Francis actually acknowledges that in this document, and he's calling for the church to curb liturgical abuses. He wants the uh, Novus Ordo, the, the ordinary form, the revised liturgy to be celebrated, you know, according to the rubrics and according to the intention of the church so that, right. you know, so that, I mean, that's a good thing. And I think we all have to hear that call. Um, but I think, you know, in talking with people today, I, I, I mean, uh, full disclosure here, I don't really have a pony in this race in the sense that I don't even really know Latin and I've never, I don't know if I've ever been to an extraordinary form of liturgy. So it doesn't really like concern me that uh, directly, but, but we have seminarians you, here. You would say it doesn't impact you directly. I think that you're concerned about it. I, I am. No, no. And it, and it impacts me to the extent that I have friends and even like seminarians who are my spiritual directees who are, um, you know, being trained for this form of the liturgy and who grew up with fa in families that would attend it. And so in that, in that sense, it does touch me directly, but it's not like I, uh, I myself celebrate this mass or know how to, but, but my point is just that, um, you know, I think that people that I know who love the extraordinary form, they, uh, they just uh, consider it more reverent, more, there's an element of mystery and awe to the liturgy. There's a beauty to it because it does incorporate, you know, certain chants and, and certain forms of celebration that are a little more, well, like that traditional or that kind of, we talk about smells and bells, you know, kind of that level of, uh, of formality and mystery. So, um, you know, I can see where people, yeah, they're, they're reacting negatively because they feel like, like something very dear to them has just been like in a, in, in one fell swoop, it's just been like the rug's been pulled out from right. beneath them, you know? So there's a lot of confusion about that and a lot of consternation. And, and, and I guess I kind of get it. Um, it might've been better had the Pope said, we're going to you know, we're going to give this a little time. And again, he's not like suppressing this form of liturgy. He's trying to regulate it. So, I mean, um, there will still be the opportunity for groups to, uh, for people, communities to celebrate the traditional Latin mass. But I but can I understand the fear that, that this is like, there are people who are afraid that this is the first step. Well, right. And, no, and, I, I, understand and I totally understand that. I do too. I do too. Because I mean, now, the reality is, it's again a kind of a paradox. The Pope seems to be authorizing the local bishop to take more responsibility. But then, like with any any man that's not ordained a priest yet, when he gets ordained from now on, he needs the permission from Rome to celebrate this. And I could see people in Rome who are not open to it or favorable. They might just say, nope, you know, can't do it. So yeah, whether long-term this will thrive or survive, um, it is kind of a, a question, I think. Um, the, the problem that I have with it, and I'm looking at this from multiple sides too. I've spent decades arguing with, uh, people who were, um, huge proponents of uh, the Latin Mass and just mm -hmm. like Novus Ordo is, and they just they've just got these radical views that the Novus Ordo isn't actually Mass and that it's not uh, it doesn't conform to the the rubrics of the Mass and that the only one that does that is the Latin Mass and I've gotten into huge debates with these guys and it's it's what I found is the people that I've argued with. I'm mm -hmm. saying everyone who's a fan of the Latin Mass. Mm -hmm. but the people that I've argued with have generally been um, older white guys who are overeducated. Mm. Kind of like you and me. It's like <laughs> it's arguing with us. Mm -hmm. Which I'm used to. 
Yeah. But so and and so my whole stance for years has been defending the Novus Ordo and telling, you know, it's like you can't I don't believe that if the transubstantiation is occurring during mass that you can consider one mass to be more sacred or less sacred because Christ is there. Yeah. It's the same level of uh, sacredness, no matter how much I'm personally getting out of it. Uh-huh. uh-huh. But on the flip side of this, I, I think that, uh, um, I think that this is a huge blow to a lot of my friends who really enjoy the Latin mass. And, and, right. and I can't under, I can't work my head around the idea that no matter what this is saying, that the implication is that the Latin mass is not, um, it's, it's not sacred. That's, I mean, that's what I get from this, this, uh, uh, from this letter from the Pope that, that it's, it's just, it doesn't serve a purpose anymore. And it's like, if it served a purpose 50 years ago, it serves a purpose today. Yeah. 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 I'm not sure he would say necessarily that he would say it's not sacred, but I think what his concern is, is that too many people, who attend or worship according to the Latin Mass, also, like you were saying, they kind of reject, if not all of Vatican II, they at least reject um, the newer rite of the Mass, the Novus right. Ordo. And, and so there's sort of like it's fostering attitudes of division within the church. And um, now the reality is too, and I don't know if our listeners would know about this, but you know, at the time of Vatican II and its reform of the liturgy, um, there was a group um, that separated themselves from the Catholic Church. They, you know, they were there was this this bishop uh, Mar- Marcel Lefebvre right. who left, and and then they formed this uh, Society of Saint Pius X in 1970, and um, and there's still over a thousand members of this group as of 2020. Um, what happened was, I forget the exact year, but sometime, I think it was 84, sometime in the 80s, uh, uh, um, this Archbishop Lefebvre ordained uh, four bishops, but he didn't do that with the authority of the church, and so right. the was excommunicated. And then in, uh, in uh, 2009, uh, Benedict uh, XVI lifted that excommunication. So I think one of the concerns, too, is that... Um, you know, what's, is this new promulgation, this new moto proprio of Pope Francis, is it going to drive people that are now very much within the body of the Catholic Church, is it going to drive them away to join some of these uh, groups that are kind of separated from ecclesial communion? So, you know, again, that lot remains to be seen. You mentioned that, you know, a lot a lot of the, your friends are are as you put it so eloquently, older white guys like ourselves. But actually, there are also a lot of younger uh, Catholics and families that, you know, actually, I think the, the more, more recently, the, we've seen that the growth in the Latin Mass is mostly um, happening among younger people. And, right. And again, you know, yeah, you know, there are certainly individuals and maybe communities that, you know, for them, it is about rejecting the, the newer liturgy or the, or, or the Vatican II, but, but I think they're in the minority. And I, I saw something online where they, somebody compared this latest move by Pope Francis to like amputating a finger when you have a hangnail, you know, and that maybe if there were some abuses, you know, that they should have just been dealt with uh, in a different way instead of taking kind of a radical um, sweeping move. And, you know, I'm, I guess I'm kind of sympathetic to that. I think about the fact too that there are Eastern Rite Catholics, right? I mean, there there are Cath there are Catholics who are totally in communion with the Catholic Church, but their liturgy looks much much different than the Latin Rite um, mm-hmm. that most Catholics are familiar with in the West. It's they've got their whole they've got their whole rite a separate rite with their own texts and and it, it actually looks more like the Latin Mass in that it involves a lot of. Uh, uh, you know, smells and bells again. So, so again, if we can make accommodation for that, you know, can't we also um, allow for this other form of the mass provided again, that it doesn't represent a rejection 
of Vatican II or its reforms. Right. But you're referring to incense, right? Not like well, incense, but also they use people are, they literally the, the use people bells. Don't use uh, antiperspirant. Like smells and bells. You're not just oh. saying you're not saying that these people are showing up and showered. No, 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 no. They're, no, they're usually not. better dressed than I am. Right. Most. <laughs> right, which isn't hard to do, really. But that's wow, a, uh, that's kind of mean. Um, <sighs> yeah. So anyway, it, it's something you know that uh, we'll have to see what unfolds here. And um, uh, you know what's interesting too is like one of the stipulations of this new document by Pope Francis is that uh, it looks like going forward that when the bishop, first of all, the bishop has to designate or appoint a priest in his diocese who will be like entrusted with these celebrations and with the pastoral care, as he puts it, of these groups of the faithful. But then also uh, it can only be celebrated in certain designated places, but it seems as if he's saying they can't be celebrated in parishes because he says, not however, in the parochial churches. So, I mean, I don't know if that means they have to find like a, banquet hall or a hotel room, a uh, conference room, or set up a tent, but it seems like you can't celebrate this anymore within a parish church. So that's, you know, that's uh, a real restriction there. Um, so anyway, there's, there's some particulars that I think are going to have to be clarified, you know, going forward. Uh, yeah. So a couple, yeah. And, and, and it's, it's, I would suggest that this could have been handled better um, or not handled at all. I, I think that, uh, I, th I think that this is, um, th if this is for unity, it's, it's, it's backfiring. You know? Yeah. At least in the short term. Right. Right. And, and I think that um, uh, like, it seems like the focus of uh, the, the, the letter is directed towards um, the Society of St. Pius X, which I don't know why that's even an issue anymore. I, I, mm -hmm. It just doesn't make any sense to me that uh, um, SSPX is, um, which is, has done some things that haven't been, um, in, you know, in compliance with the church. But the, I thought that, you know, don't we, hasn't that been all resolved in Benedict the, uh, kind of bring, put that to bed? Well, I think uh, you're right that that certainly is part of, I think, the picture. But at least from what Pope Francis is saying in this document, you know, he's, he seems to be basing his decision a lot on whatever the questionnaire to the world's bishops revealed. You know, he talks about, you know, these responses coming in and then, you know, the way he, he the way he's articulating it, he's saying there's, like, well, he, I'll just read this sentence to you. It says, uh, an opportunity offered by St. John Paul II and with even greater magnanimity by Benedict XVI intended to recover the unity of an ecclesial body with diverse liturgical sensibilities was exploited to widen the gaps, reinforce the divergences, and encourage disagreements that injure the church, block her path, and expose her to the peril of division. So part of that is the SSPX that you referenced, but I think, you know, he sees it as a wider phenomenon within, within the church itself. And he's, I think he's, he feels he's acting to kind of keep a wider division or maybe even schism from happening. Um, now, again, you can agree or disagree with that, but that's, I think where he's coming from. And I, I, I hope that, um, my own hope personally is that these uh, questionnaire responses will be made public sometime so that we can actually see the data. I mean, I'd like to know, you know, what, what exactly uh, did the bishops say to him? And, uh, and, you know, you can raise the question, at least in some places, to what extent does the local bishop even really know uh, what's happening with respect to these communities? I mean, again, I, I know personally many Catholics who in their own mind and heart uh, love the Latin mass, but also go regularly to the Novus Ordo and they're not, you know, it isn't for them a rejection of right. either the new liturgy or, or the authority of the Pope or anything like that. So, 
I think, um, you know, maybe in the end what's happening in my mind is, is Pope Francis is maybe overreacting to a reality which, is, which exists but is not as widespread as he would seem to, to believe. Um, I mean, I know the United States is a big center of the Latin Mass uh, celebration. And I know in France too, because I lived in France for a number of years, and that's a, another place where it kind of thrives. I, I don't know to what extent the Latin Mass is really an issue in you know Latin America or Asia or Africa. Well, uh, I think it's probably less so. It's usually in the West. But <laughs> Living in Guatemala, and I use this, I say this all the time when I'm mm-hmm. arguing with people who are arguing that the Latin Mass is so much better than it should be. Um, all over the world and be the only uh, mass that's uh, being uh, celebrated. And and I, I tell him, I said, listen, I lived in Guatemala. I, I went to mass every weekend and talked with a lot of Guatemalans who are my friends. And nobody ever came up to me and said, you know, I kind of wish this was in Latin and that the priest would turn around <laughs> and face the other way. Right. Nobody's saying that. <laughs> like yeah. having it in the vernacular there's benefits to having it in the vernacular yeah. of the, the people in that area. And I totally get that. And I, I support that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, just, you know, then, so it's weird for me to argue the point that this is a huge overreaction because I think that 99% of Catholics who are attending Novus Ordo, probably more around the globe, have no idea except for maybe hearing about, oh, yeah, there might be a Latin mass at uh, this church or that church or someplace else. Yeah. But other than that, they have no idea what uh, – so the, what? what is the – you know, at, at any point, you're going to have less than 1% in disunity over anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we probably have less than 1% who consider themselves Catholic and think that women should be priests. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, that's, that's a, that's a, I mean, it's a bad argument. It's a bad comparison, but. Yeah. Cause that's it, actually against the teaching. Of the it is against the teaching. Words. And I yeah. get that. That's, that's exactly right. And, um, so it's, it's a horrible example, but it's not like, um, it's not like 40% of Catholics in the U S or in the world are at, uh, attending Latin mass and her thumb in their noses at the rest of us. Right. Right? Am I right about that, or am I off on that yeah. one? It, yeah, it yeah, no, like, it's, it's, numerically, it's certainly a, a very small minority of Catholics, yeah. Um, yeah, and again, I, I don't have a lot of experience with this firsthand uh, myself, and I'm not someone who, uh, you know, grew up with it, or, um, you know, you, you mentioned a minute ago about uh, facing the people, and I know that one of the, things that has been happening, at least in the Milwaukee Archdiocese more recently, is some some priests have thought that it, it's maybe better um, while keeping the Novus Ordo and not the Latin Mass, but just to have some Masses celebrated what we call ad orientum or right. facing the East, where as, as, used, as happened before Vatican II and still happens in the uh, extraordinary form where the priest actually um, faces the same direction as the congregation. So everyone is facing the same way. And I've celebrated mass uh, on occasion uh, in that format. And, and, you know, one of the, the, the thing, and Pope Benedict, I think was an advocate of that because he felt that it kind of, in a sense, in a good way, it hides the identity of the priest. I mean, that, that priest and people as one group are all worshiping God together. Whereas, right you know, as you, as the priest faces the people, it just, it kind of, even if the priest is very reverent and isn't trying to be a clown or an entertainer, which unfortunately does, you know, happen too often, but even if he's not doing that, the, just the fact that you have the priest facing the people, it just, it's just going to naturally be more of a, of an interaction between the two and, and kind of a dialogue going on. Whereas when the priest faces the same direction as the people, it, it kind of focuses everyone's attention on what's happening at the altar. And anyway, I, I kind of get that. I, that kind of makes sense. It focuses the attention on the cross that's behind the altar. Well, right, right, exactly. And also on the altar itself because the priest is standing now, right. in, you know, facing the altar with the people. And as he elevates the host up, 
you know, you just see the priest back. So you, it isn't about him. He's kind of, you know, meant to be less important in a sense, which, which I think, again, that's a good thing. But um, so I don't know. It's always, to me, it's like striking a balance. I mean, I think, you know, celebrating the mass in the new form or the, the ordinary form, um, you know, it is important to have, be able to have a certain level of, uh, I don't know, like connection between priest and people, but you don't want the priest to become the focus of the mass and you don't want him to be, yeah, like I said before, in the an spotlight. entertainer in the spotlight. Right. It's right. not about, you the, know what, the, but the, what this all comes down to, and, and it, it's just, um, I just repeat myself all the time and maybe it's because I can't think of another idea. <laughs> um, but what this all comes down to is bad catechesis. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of it does. A lot of it does. I mean, for people to believe that, and people do believe that when the priest uh, faces the altar and faces the crucifix, faces Christ, and along with everybody else, that he's separating himself from the people. Well, that's bad catechesis. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You're being taught wrong. Yeah. And uh, I just, I think that most of these problems are due to the fact that we don't emphasize um, education enough within the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. And it just drives me absolutely nuts. Yeah, yeah. No, I think uh, many times the yeah, things come down to a lack of good catechesis, as you say. And yeah, unfortunately, even though we have a, a vast network of um, Catholic schools and uh you know, parishes, yeah, sometimes the faith is not passed on very well. And, of course, it doesn't happen in families uh, anymore as much as it used to. So, yeah, no, that's a whole nother, a whole nother issue, but uh, it's, it's certainly relevant to our conversation. Um, yeah, so anyway, I'm not sure what else to highlight here except that uh, the Pope's, you know, the Pope's latest document is, it's pretty um, it's pretty radical in the sense that it really does put an end to uh, certain uh, you know practices and it does going forward um, make things more regulated, more strict um, and uh, yeah we'll have to see how it all plays itself out um, and the the traditional cat well traditional mm -hmm. the Catholics that are advocates for the Latin mass mm -hmm. um, are arguing the point that uh, the Holy Father has never been a fan of the Latin mass and they're making the point that um, I don't remember the name of the bishop or the cardinal that he appointed to help enforce this um, has also, um, shared his opinion on the Latin Mass and that he's not a fan of the Latin Mass. Right, yeah. No, I think one of the concerns is... Who am I thinking of? I'm yeah. totally blanking on his name. Um, well, he he replaced Cardinal Sarah with... Right. Uh, yeah, but he's... He, so he replaced him because he is an advocate of the Latin Mass. So I think one of the concerns that more, yeah, like you said, more traditional Catholics might have is is that it's not just about Pope Francis, but that some of the people that had these dicasteries, they call them dicasteries or congregations in the Vatican, that they are not favorable either. And so um, there's kind of this uh, team of people now that are going to be looking at every opportunity to thwart uh, the celebration of this liturgy. And yeah, you can't help but avoid the fact that, you know, for people who are really critical of this document, there's, there's the larger issue of other things that, that this pope has either said or done or written that, you know, people have taken objection to. And so they see it as kind of a more liberal papacy. And, um, and so there's a lot of nervousness and fear about that. And so again, that's, that's one of the concerns I have just for the church as a whole, you know, and, uh, and how do we, you know, as a Jesuit, you know, we're in, I mean, St. Ignatius, our founder certainly encouraged us to, um, have great reverence and respect for the person of the Holy Father and to welcome, you know, certainly to give the benefit of the doubt to the, to the teaching of any particular Pope. And so right. you know, I'm trying to do that. I mean, I haven't seen the data that came in from these bishops around the world. So I, I do want to be, um, you know, obsequious. I want to be obedient to this, but I, I have to say too, that it, it raises some real, concerns that I'm kind of confused by some things in it, that I don't understand it, that I don't see why 
it was it was maybe necessary right now, um, at least to go to, to go as far as he's gone. So I, yeah. So I'm just I'm kind of struggling with uh, with it, like a lot of people. And I, um, I, I struggle with the numbers. I, yeah. I just I really I mean if I think it would be fair to say that probably less than one percent of Catholics globally celebrate the Latin Mass on a regular basis. Is that yeah, fair? I, I would think so. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know either the exact statistic, but I, I think it's, but it's yeah, a small it's very amount. small. It's very, very small, yeah. yeah no, and uh, But the number of Catholics that don't believe in transubstantiation hovers around 70%. Right, yeah. They say at any particular Sunday Mass, only about 30% uh, believe that it is the really the body and blood of Christ. So you're, you're right. I mean, it, it, it raises a huge issue there again of catechesis and belief and, and yeah. And yet you've got this group of Catholics who are very devout. I mean, there's a lot of vocations currently coming out of, you know, families and communities where the Latin mass is treasured. And so, I mean, I just wonder too, what, what is, it's going to have kind of a chilling effect on groups of Catholics that right now are among our biggest supporters and, and most fervent believers so the, it, it, the advocates for the Latin Mass look at the seventy percent at no, Novus Ordo Mass as not believing in in the presence of Christ mm-hmm. in the Eucharist, and they they scoff at that. Because, and I think they're probably right. I doubt if there's, you know, even one percent of Latin Mass um, participants that think that it's just a symbol. Right, they wouldn't be there if they, they wouldn't believe be that. Right, right. No, they're there precisely because they. They believe with the church, and and they feel like that form of the liturgy enhances the reverence for what is really on the altar and what we're really receiving. And um, so, you know, I guess in my mind, I mean, certainly for those that have uh, really treasured this Latin Mass, I mean, you want them to not be those passive spectators. And I think they would, many of them would say we're not. I mean, even if we're not responding as often or we're not, you know, doing as much outward gesticulation and all that, we're we're very much participating through our prayerful uh, and reverent presence. And, and, uh, and, and besides, I mean, yes, participating during the mass is important, but Ultimately, the Eucharist is given to us to go out and lead holy lives in the world, and and I think a lot of um, traditional Catholics or you know Latin Mass Catholics are are trying to live holiness in their families and in in the world around them, and that's ultimately why Christ gives us gives Himself to us, you know. Um, but I, I'm hoping too that this document will be a, a clarion call to those parishes where there's a lot of and a loosey goosey and irreverent celebration of the liturgy that it, that it will be a, a call to really say okay we got to we got to make our novus ordo liturgy more reverent and really uh, you think that's going to happen no I, I don't know if it will i'm just saying i hope it's going to be a, a be call awesome. yeah no, I, no i'm not i'm not holding my breath for this um, i mean and to be honest i mean things have gotten better too i mean yeah. i think compared to the stories we hear from the you know, yeah, seventies and what we experienced. I mean, I think, you know, right. Thing, a lot of craziness has been, has been tamped down and kind of weeded out, but, but still, um, I, I guess in my mind, it just seems like there's already a legitimate diversity in liturgical style and worship. And so to me, the Latin mass was just one more of these alternatives that were possible. And now again, the Pope isn't, eliminating it, but he is saying that he's concerned that it often represents um, a, a more wholesale rejection of the mind of the church. And so you can debate that, you know. But yeah. Anyway. So there you go. There it is. There it is. So we got to pray. We got to pray for him. We got to pray for unity in the church. We got to pray. I mean, I really pray now, too, for people that are very discouraged by this latest uh, document that they'll to That's genuinely so, hurt, yeah. Well, let's yeah. Uh, let's uh, let's have them in our prayers today. Right, right, right. Um, do we have a product that we want to? Is there stuff that we like today? Stuff Father? that we like. Yeah, I, I. It's not so much of a, of a product, but sometimes as we've done in the past, I'd like to highlight today a um, 
a particular group or uh, it, it was established by a, a Jesuit friend of mine, Father Bill Watson, and uh, it's called the Sacred Story Institute, and, and their website is simply uh, sacredstory.net. But um, he's developed uh, books and programs um, that I think are just awesome because he's taking the spirituality of St. Ignatius and he's trying to share it with the wider world. And um, he's done this through a variety of texts. There's a, um, like retreat type booklets that he's put out um, that are geared uh, for different audiences. So there's one kind of more specifically for priests and seminarians, but there's also one for uh, laity. He's even come up with one for people that are incarcerated. Um, so he's trying to appeal to different groups, but trying to root them in just a solid Christ Catholic spirituality, but kind of influenced and informed by the, by the, the spirituality of St. Ignatius as well. <clears throat> and, um, and he's got some media, he's got podcasts and videos and things. And, uh, anyway, it's, it's called Sacred Story Institute. Um, I know that there's a lot of people that have really been helped by this website and by his, uh, publications. And, um, so I just want to encourage our listeners to check it out and, uh, support father bill in his, in his, uh, work. Uh, we'll put a link in the description. Okay. That'd be you great. You like pushing the Jesuits. I've noticed that. <laughs> have, have you? Yeah. You're shocked. Are you shocked? I know I should be more ecumenical in my, in my promotion. I suppose we should try to find other, you know, Dominican, Franciscan, um, yeah, my dog scratching himself and kicking his <laughs> licenses around. So sorry about that. Um, uh, yes, we will have that in the description, and we will all go visit and learn more and be supportive of the good work. Excellent. You want to pray? Let's do that in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So. Heavenly Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, most blessed Trinity, we again thank you for the opportunity to uh, discuss uh, something very important in our Catholic life and, and worship. We uh, entrust to you, our Holy Father, Pope Francis, and all the bishops, all the shepherds of the church. They have a difficult mission of teaching truth and maintaining unity. We pray um, also for our listeners and for their families and whatever intentions, um, whatever might be close to their heart, especially anyone who might be struggling, uh, just come to their assistance and give them encouragement and healing. Uh, Blessed Mother and St. Joseph, during this year dedicated to you, we, we are so grateful that you look upon us as your sons and daughters, uh, that we're brothers and sisters to your son Jesus. So please pray for us and help us to be more deeply conformed to the heart of Christ. And so may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down upon all of us and remain with us forever. Amen. Amen. Great. All right, Father. Thank um, you, Jim. Good luck with uh, how much? How much? How many more days you got on this retreat? So it'll end uh, the evening of July thirty-first. So about ten wow. days about 10 days all right folks thanks for listening and uh please uh send us emails respond on our facebook page that'd be great take care uh, folks take care god bless everybody bye-bye